Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're back with Sid Talks, where Laura Sadal and I dissect the prize money breakdowns for 2020, or rather, the lack of prize money. And we talk about the upcoming stacked field at Challenge Miami. And then I talk with Max Fennell, maybe the most interesting man in triathlon. The only black pro triathlete, Max was also a star of the TV show Million Dollar Mile, was invited to compete in the televised Spartan Games earlier this year, and talks to us about how getting into bow hunting in the Bay Area is part of his three to four year plan to qualify for Kona. Max also runs a coffee company, ran for city council, and recently co-founded an organization to get more athletes of color and up-and-comers into endurance sports. We talk about all of that and about why sleeping under a tree is good for you. All of that after this short break. All right, we're back with Sid this week. Laura Sidal for Sid Talks. Sid, you're in Tucson for training camp, and it's like, I'm jealous. This is the time of year usually everyone goes to training camp but this year's kind of a weird one. Like not, it's sort of, uh, are we doing training camps? Are we not? Yeah. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm in Scottsdale, so a little bit yeah. further, further north, but still in Arizona. And I think I just feel really lucky for being able to get out here um, to join uh, my coach, Julie Dibbons and the squad. Um, I think, yeah, it's very different for, for the pros this year and age groupers, you know, normally, this time they'd probably be looking for a bit of a warmer getaway to escape some of the winter winter weather in various places. Um, and yeah, it's been difficult. You've seen a lot of the UK athletes going over to, I think, Dubai or United Emirates kind of thing because that's where they could travel to to get away. I think there have I have seen in the last few weeks a few of the European athletes have been able to get to sort of Lanzarote hmm. um, with it. But a lot of, you know, a lot of it's been curtailed with travel restrictions, obviously, and and the pandemic. And so um, we've seen a lot of images of the pros training in the snow, doing the <laughs> country skiing and, and running in the snow, which we probably wouldn't normally see. Um, yeah, yeah. I kept joking uh, here in Boulder, we were going to do like a pros first winter. There's all these people yeah. who are like, what is happening? What is I don't going know, on? me, I'm like, I don't have any clothes. So I'm coming to Boulder. It's like, uh, can you put the heating on over there? I'm not prepared for winter. Even staying in Spain uh, over winter, I was, I was like, gosh, I don't have tr- training clothes for getting out in, in these colder temperatures. And it's not even that bad over there. We don't have the snow. Yeah, but I mean, you, training camps did become definitely more common in the last like five, 10 years. Kind of everyone sort of, not everyone, but many people yeah. go on a spring training camp to kind of see their friends, kick off the season, yeah. all that all that kind of thing. And uh, and it's a little different this year. It's definitely less. I think some people are throwing their own, you know, just kind of like get, yeah. going somewhere warm, hanging out, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. It's just, it's not quite the same, but I feel like that's going to be the theme this whole season is it's not quite the same no that's right I mean our camp is definitely different this year so yes one it's a smaller group of us because again not everyone could or wanted to travel which was totally understandable everyone was given that choice um and also we're probably not being as social outside of our actual training sessions you know we're trying to keep that um, you know, the respect of social distancing and when we're training together, yes. And then when we go to and from the pool, we've got our masks on, everything like that. But we're not kind of, you know, normally that training camp it is. It's getting with your friends. It's getting with your teammates. It's having that train hard, but that social aspect of getting to know everyone a bit better and spend time with people. 
and we would probably like go out for dinner a couple of times a week during camp and things like that but we're not we're not doing that obviously um i still you know i still think that i've for me training camps are really powerful um because i'm kind of so global and nomadic on my own it's it's that chance to get to train with with people and with my squad and also time in front face to face time in front of my coach and i also think like when you're in a training camp away from home you kind of it it removes some of those day-to-day distractions Mm -hmm. and so you can sort of fully focus on getting the training done and the recovery and just that performance side of things and you can strip away some of the other elements of life um which I think is still beneficial but I yeah and I I still think there's that yeah I do think training camps are valuable going forward. Obviously, like we said, it's very difficult this year. It's going to be very different. Um, I think people have got to be be careful and sensible how, whether they try and get away on their own or just a couple of friends and a, and a smaller groups and things like that. And obviously depends on destinations and things. I mean, hopefully as we go through the year, things are going to get better and it is going to be on That's the hope. That's the idea, yeah. I'm still clinging and maybe there's opportunity that people will embrace it as a chance to get together again with friends that we haven't seen for, haven't seen and haven't been able to get together with for so long. Uh, yeah, I mean, you and I were talking kind of before about all of the races that we got like the first wave of postponements and cancellations <laughs> this last week, right? Um, and yeah. you just told me that Challenge Roth even got, which was I was hoping to got postponed to September. Um, a whole bunch of the early kind of European races got postponed. Obviously, here in North America, Oceanside got postponed, which I mean, I think we all saw that one coming. And so there's kind of, you know, I think that's going to, I don't want to get too much in the weeds because that's going to be the case throughout this year. We're going to see postponements, cancellations. It's really going to be dependent. Um, But at the same time, we are going to see some races. Like we also saw the announcement of the Challenge Miami list last week. Yes. And it's huge. It's like giant. Oh my God. Massive. Which is Um, exciting. It goes, it goes back to this. I I think I saw a Twitter thread um, online that was like, it's a huge start list. And it's because we don't have very many races. So this is like one chance to race, the big guns and everyone else wants to be there. It's kind of like what it used to be. But then are you really helping the sport as a whole? But then if we have too many races, you dilute the field and then you don't get those matchups of the big names more regularly, which is what everyone kind of wants to see. Um, But yeah, that start list is, gosh, I guess we should, we should like tell people. So besides like all, like, Challenge Daytona was obviously biggest race last year. So you have yeah. kind of all those people, but then you also have Jan coming, which is yeah. huge. First race we've seen from Jan Ferdino in like over a year. You have Lucy Charles coming um, again, like first race we've seen from her in over a year. Um, I'm pretty excited for it'll be Lucy Ann Hogg and Paula Findlay. And then yeah. there's other people too, but the, those are yeah. like head to head. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be very intense for sure. It is. And, you know, it's going to be a similar format to um, Daytona, obviously, because it's on a NASCAR track again, but it will be slightly different. I think the track is slightly smaller. Um, I haven't yet seen the proper schedule in terms of will the men and women's race, will there be a crossover? You know, in Daytona, we were really lucky that they were two completely separate races. Um, I'm hoping that might be the case again, because there is also going to be the coverage for the race like there was in Daytona. Um, but I haven't seen the actual schedule of when those races start as to whether there is a bit of overlap, which, which will be more different, you know, different for the athletes when they're on the racetrack. 
Um, hopefully, I think it's still going to be a 20-meter drafting rule, which is good. But yeah, just um, I think on the women, and, and I think as well that a lot of the athletes would have gone away from Daytona and learned a lot about aero time trialing being in that position for so long. And so I think there'll be some big learnings going forward into Miami that they've probably worked on for the last few months, plus then add in the likes of Lucy Charles and Jan, who are just like going to mix it up even more. And I know, I mean, you and I were talking about it, but the, the men's list is like 50 pros and the women's is like 30 something. And there was some discussion about, you know, why is it uneven? But again, you were telling me it has a little bit to do with the whole COVID thing. They yeah. had to put out like there's a seven day quarantine for everyone coming here nationally and challenges yeah. funding like hotel yeah. rooms for all of them to come. So they yeah. had to put a stop. They had to I like mean, close the door. <laughs> but, you know, so the, the race in Daytona was pretty equal in numbers because we did it on that qualification of the top ranked men, the top ranked women in the world. If we look at normal everyday races in, in a normal world, there are more male pros in, in the world. Normally, there are more male pros on the start list than there are women. Now, it is coming into balance, which is great over the last few years. And we have seen some races where there's more women, which is fantastic. That's not an excuse for Miami. I do know that the start list, you know, Miami's been on the, the calendar for a while now. The start list was open. Um, and I do know from what I've heard is just that more men had signed up in advance than women. Um, and then when the extra um, restrictions came in with having the international athletes having to come out extra early and quarantine in the hotel, um, the challenge just said we've got to shut the the start list down. And unfortunately, not as many women had signed up at that stage. Do you, think, uh, do you think it's just because the, the men were being wildly optimistic and the women were all being pragmatic? Because I'm waiting. Oh, yeah, I'm not signed up for anything. Yeah, I think there's that gender stereotype again, <laughs> isn't there? You know, you know, we've talked about it with races, whereas men just throw themselves into races regardless of their fitness and regardless of form, where I think women can be a bit more conservative of going, I only want to race if I'm kind of race fit. And maybe that's just that backfiredness of going, the men have just gone like, yeah, I'm chucking my name in the ring. I want to be there. And the women have been a bit more calculated going, oh, I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not, or let's wait a bit. And then they've kind of missed that, missed that cutoff. Um, and like I said, I do know Challenge North America are funding those extra days for those quarantine. And there's, and it's actually NASCAR because NASCAR are um, the NASCAR are helping the athletes get the entry into the U.S. So it's those guys that are driving the protocols and stuff to make sure everything's everything's smooth. Yeah, were you? I mean, I think it was Belinda who was telling me without the NASCAR lawyers helping, they wouldn't have been able to get all the athletes into the country because it's just too complicated right now. It is like, and I tried. I tried applying for my entry into the country. I did it. I'd got mine through Daytona and Challenge and, and things like that and through Miami because I, I was planning to race. Um, but I also applied separately in case that didn't happen through the embassy, the US embassy in Madrid. And I still have, and that was, I've applied on the 2nd of January for entry and I still haven't heard anything. So I'd still be sitting at home, like pushing flights back every day. And in fact, in December, I did the same. And I heard when I was already, I'd already been in the States for a week, they said, oh, yes, you're now granted. And I'm like, you're like cool, cool. Yeah. Thanks, and actually, guys. A, lot of, a lot of the pros have been reaching out to me this last week saying, how did you get into the US? How do I need to do that? What do I need to do? And I've just been like saying, yeah, just as a pro, contact the PTO. They've been helpful. If it's for a race, which is 
really the only way you can get in. Talk to the race organizer or talk to USAT, um, uh, yeah, US Triathlon. Um, they might be able to help. I know they helped some of the athletes for hmm. Iron Florida in December. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah, you do need I, help right now. It is very complicated. Yeah. My um, completely unrelatedly, my husband was going to race like a big world championship in Germany. Um, not triathlon, and you just you have to have someone backing you, or you like can't get in. You can't yeah. do it. Yeah. And I'm not even sure, like, when I go back to Spain, if I can get back to Spain. Like, I have every bit of paperwork. I have a flight booked a ticket, but I keep hearing, like, Pablo de Pina, um, he's coming out from Miami. His flights keep getting cancelled. And I'm like, yeah. oh, gosh, he's coming from Spain. So I have a flight booked back to Spain. I have paperwork of my residential, my letting, my you know, my lease contract. I have my application for Spanish residency receipt. Um, I have like the fact I'm a UK citizen, but I'm coming from the US because Spain's banned all UK residents from UK. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not coming from the UK, I'm coming from the US. I'll have my COVID test before I go. But at the moment, it's a bit like you still don't actually know if you're going to get to the gate or get to the airport. And they'll be like, we're not letting anyone in. This is just, it's crazy. It's so weird. Yeah. So weird. So bizarre. Um, yeah. Yeah, it makes you it makes you wonder too. I remember I was coming. We're now we're off on side, side, tangents, side points. But I was coming back from a race in China once, and there was a Canadian couple like in front of me, and we were flying into Seattle, and the Chinese authorities didn't want to let them fly into the U.S. because they were like, "Well, you need a visa," and you couldn't explain that Canadians don't need visas to get into the U.S. Like it's not a problem, and they just weren't going to let them on the plane. So it's yeah. also like dependent on the random person at the airport and the oh, gate agent. And totally. oh I've my had, god, I had similar going like um, into New Zealand, and they're like, "But you haven't got a, a visa, or you haven't got the visa for Australia." I have. No, I'm like, "No, I'm resident, or I was," and that all like crosses yeah. over mutual agreements and. And I mean, well, even when I flew out here to the US, they were turning a lady away at the gate yeah. of the plane in Spain. And they were saying, you can't come on. And I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. See, we're right. all becoming like international law travel no. experts. <laughs> That's why I need the eight, the travel agent or the manager. I'm like, why am I needed to do this myself? <laughs> I can't cope. <laughs> but Miami, um, what is the prize purse there? Because obviously it's going to be biggest race, you know, so far this year, yeah. big race in a long time. I don't think the prize money is huge though. I think it's sort of just it's like fifty thousand or something like that. I think it is, yeah. I I mean I think it was a pretty solid prize purse, but in a normal year um and then i think sort of with the start list they've got it's elevated the status of right. the race um but the prize pun money so it's six thousand six hundred for a win okay um is what i'm just that's not crazy so no which um brings us to the point there was a prize money listing this past week um torsten rad who we've had on the podcast before who i talked to last week um does kind of a compiling of all the prize money every year and what was interesting, and, you know, it is what it is, it's the public data, but what was interesting this year was that you could quantify the reduction then in the money that pros earned. It was like a 90% reduction in prize money from Ironman, 90-something percent in reduction from challenge, just because there were no races, which is yeah. understandable. And WTC. Right. And so it's totally understandable that, of course, they're not going to pay out money when there were no races. But when you see that, that, you know, there was 90% less prize money, it's like, well, no wonder pros couldn't make any money last year. <laughs> And 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 remember as well that's that's taking just prize money of races that doesn't take into account the money that pros get through their performance bonuses mm -hmm. from sponsors. So if there aren't any races, they've lost 
both, you know, those both channels of income. Um, so it shows it's not just that the races, you know, the races went on, so you can't necessarily pay out, um, although PTO, PTO did in some ways. Um, but yeah, so and then, and then it did show that the PTO were trying to support the the local races. Obviously, they, they, there was nothing 2019 from the PTO, so it right. was it was going to be it was going to be a plus for them. Um, right, right. They had like a thousand percent increase. Yeah, a thousand percent <laughs> increase. But yeah, you know, a lot of us, um, yeah, wouldn't have been able to survive or even just to kind of make ends meet if it hadn't been if it hadn't been for that. With the yeah, I saw a um a couple of pros kind of respond um to his his analysis and say, you know, it's the hardest it's ever been to be a pro yeah. athlete right now to actually make a living. Um, it's just and, if you, and, you know. and it's a bit like you know we've had the conversation and you've mentioned it before. You know, are you a pro when there's right. no races? How do you justify what you're doing? And um, you know, even I've been speaking to uh, a few people in the senior in the PTO and. You know, they an analogy of um, comparing it to golf and saying, you know, but if you're in, if you're maybe ranked 50 in the world at golf, you probably have to have a second job. You're either, you know, in the pro shop or you're coaching and stuff. And so maybe it's like the the triathletes are going to have to get those second jobs. To... The triathletes have those second jobs. And I was like, yeah, I think the triathletes, a lot of the triathletes have the side hustles and even more than being like the top, the, the 50th rank. I think a lot more going higher up have to have those side hustles because we're not there in funding oh, yeah but yeah um, it, it, it has been I think yeah it has been hard I mean I'm kind of I know my savings that I did have and I was fortunate I had a couple of good years with the challenge family world bonus um which kind of gave me a bit more but I've also had like 50 over fifty thousand dollars in medical expenses for the last two years mm, yeah which when you've got nothing coming in and you're just seeing that kind of draining out like and your savings or I'm lucky mm -hmm. that I have savings, which I know is again, more than a lot of people have. Um, yeah. It's been a, I keep shutting my eyes when I look at my monthly, <laughs> I have to pay my monthly rent or my <laughs> training right, fees right. or whatever going, Oh, there's yeah. maybe a dozen pros, like the big names who were fine this last year, yeah. who were on big sponsorship contracts that paid them anyway. Um, but I think everyone else is kind of, yeah, hoping they're, their bank balance lasts until there are races again. Yeah. yeah. So the plastic, the plastic credit cards are getting pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> There's also obviously a lot of people who would have been new pros this last year or who were trying to come up who just didn't. Yeah. They just they yeah. didn't quit that side hustle and they Yeah. Yeah. They did not make the jump. So we'll yeah. see how that all plays out. Obviously we're hopeful. Cross our fingers. Yeah. Yes, I think everyone's hopeful. I mean, we have seen some of the virtual racing again. Mm -hmm. So again, I think, and I, I think that may carry on. Um, I think that's been a really good opportunity um, for the pros, especially like this last Swift series that we are now, uh, I think we're about to do week three of. It's done on a weekly prize purse as well this time. So not la the last two have been on like points collected over the series. Mm. Whereas this one has been kind of weekly placings, which I think has been quite, good for the pros as well so that they know that it's you're not having to commit to that four weeks necessarily you can kind of come in for a race and and not come race as it suits with with training and schedules as well right i just need to buy a virtual treadmill or a smart treadmill and then, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and then i mean it's yeah and then the tactics oh yeah anyway that's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down <laughs>
Yeah, well, we'll see how this plays out. Obviously, we're hope we're hopeful. We're hopeful that everybody's training now. We're actually training, so we yes. all we all think there's going to be races. So, yeah, and you know, and look, everyone can like you said, you didn't do much training last year and no races. I still think, and for me, that training is part. Well, it, one, it's what I know and it's what I do, um, but it also keeps me going as well even right. if I'm unsure but maybe it's because I've been injured for two years I'm just like I just want to train to get fit again I just want to train to be healthy um but I think there's a big piece about training for health physically right, right, right. and mentally to to get us through these these uncertain times and so I'm very much an advocate of even if you don't have that goal as a race do it because you love it and because mentally and physically it will be better for you and family for sure. Yeah. No, I think um I mean I think we all did all kinds of different things last year. My joke was just uh if you want to know if races are gonna happen, pay attention to the people who are like behind the scenes and when they start training for serious because yeah. I did I did not start training for serious races. I did not sign up for anything last year. I did so you should have yeah. taken a hint. But yeah. but I am actually training right now because I think some things are gonna happen. So yeah. <laughs> you gotta pay attention to like the race directors, the people who Who's work for Iron Man. Training. Yeah. Get on board, everybody. Get going. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for chatting with us, Sid. Hopefully we see you in Boulder. Hopefully it warms up by the time you yeah, get here. Please turn the heating on. <laughs> All right, this week we're talking to Max Fennell, the, I believe, the only black pro triathlete. We're pretty sure uh, you just did all the Spartan racing on TV. You're on Million Dollar Mile. You have a coffee company. You ran for City Counts. We did a story saying you were the most interesting man in triathlon. You just have so <laughs> many different things going on. <laughs> yeah, that was a great article. I appreciate that. Thanks for that. So I want to hear first about this whole Spartan racing thing, like, you were out on this like compound for multiple days. There were all these competitions and then it was on TV. Like, how yeah. did you get into that? Yeah. So there's actually a lot of, there's uh, quite a few funny stories about me being at Spartan race. Uh, I got in the Spartan from literally the CEO of Spartan reaching out to me, like <laughs> very stealthily, like slowly getting me, into, uh, getting me into the sport. He first like introduced me to do Spartan, uh, uh, like a leadership event that Spartan puts on. And then they allow you to, to do the event afterwards. And I ended up winning my age group at a Spartan stadium. And then I like messaged, I'm like, dude, I, I want to do this. And <laughs> thankfully, uh, I think that was the end of 2019 because that was San Francisco and 2020 happened. The one like in AT&T Park or whatever? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so okay. much fun. Yeah. And, and then later that year or later 2020, uh, a buddy of mine who's very affiliated with Spartans like, man, I heard about this thing. Someone's going to reach out to me. You need to say yes. It, they were very vague about it, right? <laughs> and <laughs> since I didn't uh, – I only did like one trail running race – and when this opportunity came, any pro was going to say yes to whatever. So I said yes to it immediately. And next thing you know, we're getting quarantined. We're showing up. Uh, we had to get two tests before. We had to get a rapid test when we arrived. And the funny story that I always said is, just like, all right, nice. Like, I'm I'm going to this Spartan, you know, Spartan Games event. There's probably going to be no pros there. There's swimming. There's running. Or no pro triathletes, I mean. Right. No joke. I show up there and I'm getting out of the car. I see a few people and I'm like, is that Jarrett Shoemaker? <laughs> 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 like, cool, just have to be an Olympian. It's fine. 
And literally when I got out of the car, someone's like, oh, Max, you're here. Yeah, yeah. Did you see we got Jared Shoemaker here, the Olympian? I'm like, yeah, I saw that. I'm like, you what? <laughs> there goes the swimming event. Like, I thought I, had, <laughs> I thought I had some of this in the bag. So that was the funny story of just showing up there thinking no tr- pro, uh, pro triathletes are going to be there. And thankfully, Jared was there and Josiah was there. So it was very cool that, that the pro triathletes got to really represent at the Spartan Games. I saw they had like a pro runner too, like Kellen uh, Taylor. Yeah, Kellen. Oh, they kind of they like got people from all over, brought them to this I don't even know farm, and then the they farm, did like the yeah. Spartan Games for like a couple of days, right? What was the hardest part? The hardest event? It's tough. Uh, I would say the hardest event. Hmm, that's a really tough question. Because they, because how the difficulty showed up was that like you were fresh and then you kept getting tired and tired because right. you could handle everything. I don't want to say hard in terms of like you couldn't do it because you obviously saw that we had ultra marathoners and marathoners able to do the event. I would just say that it would probably just be the DECA events. We had mm. to do this DECA event where we had to deadlift. 225 for the men and i think the women were what was 165 and i believe kellen she did the 165 uh all the guys we all uh, all the the endurance athlete pure endurance athletes we skip the deadlift so i think that was the biggest bummer of being like man i can't really like put up some solid points in this specific deca event because you know okay. i couldn't deadlift 225 so yeah yeah i can see that i've done like i far i do really love spartan and there's definitely the ones where like the weight is just so heavy you go to pick it and like no, it doesn't move right yeah. you're just like nope don't if you have tra- if you train for it or if you had any basic understanding yes but if like we're saying this i think showed up on like the third day and we had already done like you know a five mile or five hour mountain bike like our bodies were pretty trash and i'm like i'm not trying to pull my back on a deadlift for you know some for like three points so so how did you end up doing like overall i i was happy i wanted to do better i ended up getting eighth out of out of 12 men um uh, the thing that i'm known for is that i got really angry on the mountain biking on the mountain biking course and that's where the vagueness came in because we always we talk about this they said that it was rolling hills non-technical if you say that to a triathlete we're going to think rolling hills like like a like a track or something like that like like a five mile loop through the woods rolling hills this was like real mountain biking, like with roots and you right. have to get off your bike. Like I showed up with an air helmet and rode, <laughs> rode bike shoes. <laughs> and I and so like part of the stuff that was cut out, I'm like yelling at them being like, you guys were going to let me go out there with a air helmet <laughs> and like on this mountain biking course. Like, oh, I was so mad. But I, I did well on the mountain biking course. I could have did, uh, I could have done better. Um, but it was just one of those things where, the obstacle course racing, like how the points were set up that, you know, mm-hmm. once certain people pulled away, it was just hard to make up that difference. And I think I surprised a lot of people with the wrestling and that's because I have a wrestling background. Huh. Okay. Okay. So is this, so, and we were kind of talking this before we started recording. So are you sticking with triathlon or are you going to do Spartan racing now? Is like obstacle course. I've seen all your Instagrams with you out like hunting and archery and stuff. Is this, is this the future? 
it's it's a short time future to allow me to focus on the long term goal, which is I've always wanted to go to Kona, and it's mm-hmm. like for me, my physiology, like I still have a lot of power, I still have a lot of strength, and it's like, look, if we see Tom Brady competing until he's 43 you're gonna see a lot of us competing as pros until we're 45 and we see that now right especially if you take care of your body and for me it's just like living here in northern california i care way more about winning certain santa cruz races than traveling all across the country for the next two years to allow my body to officially adapt um Mm. and same thing there's just a lot of obstacle course racing trail running races that are out here where it's like you know i care way more about winning races than i do about going to a world championship right like i there are just certain races where it's like i want people to know that i won you know that santa cruz race you want to win santa cruz sandman that's what i'm hearing yes it's it's your your goal (laughs) yes Yes. And uh, yeah, we were talking about how there's a lot of, there are a ton of obviously Northern California races, one of which is Ironman Sacramento. Are you going to do an Ironman then? If I was going to do an Ironman, it's the same thing in terms of the, the bigger goal. Like I would focus on Sacramento because that's just mm-hmm. a two hour drive for me. It's just, you know, it's all about low stress or going to Ironman Arizona. But, you know, I would probably stick to California races just because I know California so well and I just feel so at home here. For sure. I get that. That makes sense. And let's talk about how you got into triathlon in the first place. Because you, okay, first, I feel like I should say, so USAT says that you are the only black pro triathlete currently. We're not totally sure about the first because records. And every time we do a story, there is a guy from the late 1970s who emails us and tells us that back in the late 1970s, he was a pro when there was not that many and a pro surfer. Have you ever talked to him? Do you like? I don't like, uh, I'm going to have to look it up now, but he always, always calls and emails and says he was the first black pro triathlete back in like 1978. I mean, Hey, it's possible, <laughs> but yeah. I kind of go by the fact that I've talked to seven different individuals and had conversations with them. And I have always gone by, you know, if Bernard Lyles recognizes mm. me, you're right. If Larry recognizes me, um, if Greg Bell, you know, rec- recognizes me, I mean, they were, these are the guys that were back there racing, right. um, pro. And I think it's like, a lot of them don't realize that like, you know, they were there and it's because like, you know, there wasn't, uh, a pro card back then. Right. Exactly. But exactly. I mean, cause then you could say like, you know, Bernard was a pro cause Bernard raced at Kona back then mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, like, you know, there was seven black guys (laughs) that were racing all around the same time that I believe have all already gone the Kona and all have raced at that level already. Um, But uh, yeah, there was basically there weren't pro licenses back then, but now there are you're in that system. You're kind of the first, how did you get into it? You started out as a soccer player. You were going to, you played soccer in college. You were going to, that was like, you were going to be a pro soccer player. And I, uh, my understanding is, you had to serve some jail time. And during that, you kind of were watching Iron Man, watching Kona. Is that right? That's the true story. How'd you okay. hear that? How'd you, where'd that come from? I think I saw that in like one of the New York Times about you. Oh, that's right. That was in the yeah. New York Times article. I know. <laughs> yeah, there it is. So that, I mean, that is the real story of like, I was like, so what it was, is like my situation was like, not everyone when you get 
arrested has to go into jail, right? There's like very like low key um, work release places. And since like, you know, mine was just like a simple mistake, the judge is like, look, you know, like you got to do something. You can either go to jail or you can do something very minimally. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do the minimal thing. And it's literally like you're just going to like a dorm room that has like a TV in it that hopefully works and doesn't work. And so I would just go to my own room. And the majority of the time I just did schoolwork, read books. And then like whenever the TV was on, all that I had access to was old um, like Iron Man, like the old Iron Man uh, world championship races that were coming all very blurry. So that's where, you know, I first heard about Iron Man races. And then when I was working at the coffee shop, that's when I was like, oh, Brian, hey, you know, like I'm thinking about doing a triathlon and he gave me this old triathlon bike. Okay. Okay. So you got in a triathlon just kind of as a friend and you had seen it. Were you good right away? Uh, I just had like raw biking strength, but like, okay. you know, all of my friends back then remember that like, you know, I could barely swim. Like I knew how to swim, but like, I wasn't like, you know, I couldn't do like a flip turn or anything like that. Well, I mean, a lot of triathletes can't do flip turns. I think that's yeah, 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 yeah. You just have to swim out in open water, straight line. Yeah, well, so that's the thing. Like, I grew up going to a sports camp, and the sports camp that I went to, um, like, we always swam in like a lake, and I knew how to like wakeboard and stuff. So, I, like, I wasn't afraid of like open water, so that wasn't the mm -hmm. issue. It was more so getting laps in it. You know. Hmm, okay. And so when did you kind of go from, hey, I want to be a soccer player and this triathlon thing is kind of interesting to I'm going to be a pro triathlete and, you know, really dedicate myself to that? Well, I think it was always that, you know, I've always been athletic and I always wanted to become a professional athlete. So I was just hmm. like, all right, you know, I don't see any pros. And obviously I didn't see any black people in the sport. This is like 2011, right? So I didn't see anyone in the sport. And I was like, okay. Well, you know, maybe I'll become a pro here instead of becoming uh, going the soccer route because that clearly mm -hmm. wasn't going to happen. And like I said, I was working at a coffee shop and Brian uh, Sullivan lent me his old bike at the time and I just got hooked with it. Yeah, I mean, it's like that's what everybody's story is, right? I just somebody lent me a bike. I did it. I loved it. Um, when and you when did you actually qual you qualified for your elite license like 2014? So after like a few years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. After yeah, okay. a few years. And I mean, you just pointed out there were no other black people kind of at the time. Why do you think that is? Like why I mean, why do you think there aren't other black pro triathletes? Obviously, we've talked to Sika, who's trying to become the first female black pro triathlete. Um but yeah, I I I'm, you know, there should be more. Uh, I start with representation, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like I, if I went through the hurdles I continue to deal with, there's your answer, right? Uh, if companies aren't stepping up to the plate and saying like, Hey, we're going to give you an opportunity and we're going to support you. Well, then how am I going to get anywhere? Right. If I only have like three up at bats each year, right. What's the likelihood that I'm going to do well in a pro race if I can only make it to three pro races. Hmm. Um, and then if we talk about things that are s systemic, right, you know, the cost of the sport, the, the access to the sport, um, opportunities, right? It's just, for me, I just think it's like everything just kind of fell together properly because it's like I can look at how when I moved out here, how like, you know, how people then even helped me out here. 
to get to where I am and introduce me to certain people out here. Um, and not everyone has those opportunities, which actually kind of circles back to how mm -hmm. we how we recently started a foundation to address right. those issues, right? We want to go to the sport and say like, hey, does anybody want to do the, the Max Bryan thing, which is mentor someone and just show them the way, help open up doors, help guide them, help them finagle the system so that they can get certain things. And then on our end, we're going to raise money so that we can help pay for the pool fees, pay for the memberships. Uh, part of that foundation that we've created is, is centered around obstacle course racing. So we've got Spartan to step up and say, hey, any of your applicants, we'll give them free race entries, you know? Um, and that was also a very big thing for me. I mean, Steve Del Monte, uh, Del Monte from Delmo Sports, the majority of the beginning of my career was because Delmo would give me free race entries. And I've always raced local races. And I say that now of why it's so important to support our local races, because you don't mm -hmm. necessarily need to fly all over the world. Uh, but that those are the things that were very helpful was just having people step up and say, Hey, Max, come swim at Stanford and mm -hmm. Max come race all of my races for the year. And me, I was just like, okay, I'll race all of Delmo races <laughs> the entire, cause that's all I had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, when you say, I mean, the organization foundation that you just started, I thought it was more obstacle course racing focused. It sounds like you guys are going to be involved in triathlon too. Triathlons, endurance okay. sports as a whole, but right okay. now we're able to scale much quicker with obstacle course racing. Mm -hmm. Obstacle course racing, the Spartan world is a very welcoming, uh, it's family-oriented community, so we can just really make this happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. We brought on Khadija Diggs to our board mm -hmm. uh, to our board as well to really help us make sure that we're kind of focused on how we can reach down and and figure out who we can bring on board to really kind of take them through our pipeline to get them to those elite ranks or those competitive levels. And when you say like other people helped you out, uh, I think like everyone's had that experience. Have you helped other, uh, you know, people up now, teach them how to swim, teach them, give them a, a free, an extra bike you have sitting on your garage? Yeah. I mean, I've done quite a bit for a lot of people that doesn't necessarily need to be public. You know what I mean? Sure. I do, I do a lot of things now. Um, and I think, you're going to see that reflected a lot in OAOF, Overcome All Obstacles Foundation. Um, but yeah, you know, like I've always just been doing stuff. I've always been talking to people. I've always been recruiting people, right? I've done a lot with Tri Masters in Chicago um, yeah, yeah. and have sent a lot of people towards Tri Masters, help them raise money. So um, yeah, you know, I've done a lot, but you know, I just don't talk about it. Don't need to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just was thinking, do you think, um, you know, obviously you being representation mattering and you being somebody people could see, do you think it's made a difference? Do you think there are going to be other kids, you know, following in your footsteps, other people? We're going to see more black pro athletes. I don't know necessarily following my footsteps. <laughs> I think, I think they're going to blaze their own trail because, you sure. know, I, I blazed my own and I think, you know, me being at 33, I understand where my path is going and I see certain individuals now that remind me of myself. Mm. Um, we're trying to do some stuff here on the ground that's in the works as well with just one of the local community pools that we want to be able to provide um, free swim lessons and, uh, introduce them to aquatic sports. So we're working on that here um, in Menlo Park. But um, 
yeah, you know, I think it's going to be promising. It's just you need representation. And that's what I see Spartan doing so well is that they're not even waiting. (laughs) They're on the phone with me being like, hey, Max, come do this. Come do this. Come do this. Come do this. (laughs) You know? And, and, you know, it's like it's only been two years when I've been in triathlon for 10 years and Spartan's like being like, Max, what do we need to do? And they listen and they're executing on it. And the CEO is reaching out to me and reaching Mm -hmm. out to people like Kurt and reaching out to all (laughs) that they are like, we have the ability to go to Spartan and be like, Hey, you guys aren't diverse enough. And be like, okay, we're listening (laughs) and say like, Hey, we're going to start this foundation. We want you to back and like, Okay, well, we'll give you, you know, some free entries and we'll do this. They are listening and creating action. I just don't see that in the triathlon world. I see a lot of people talking. I see a lot of people (laughs) saying the right things, but it's like, hey, I'm working with this billion dollar company over here that's just making things happen and there's no questions asked. Interesting. Okay. So so, I mean, what I'm reading here is that like the, the equivalent, the big companies have not reached out to you or are not responding in triathlon or not like, hey, let's give free entries to everyone who applies to this program nothing like that well it's yes yeah the big okay. companies aren't but i don't want to diminish the, right. the the race directors in the triathlon world that have been ahead of mm-hmm. that have given me an opportunity and seek an opportunity so it's not so much that i'm just saying there are people that are on par of spartan that haven't been like, hey, Max, come be at my race. Hey, Max, right. let's work together. Hey, Max, what do you think we can do here with our organization? Hey, Max, do you know anybody that should be in the, in in an executive position at, at our at our company? Right, right. Okay. Okay. I'm reading between the lines here. I see. Interesting. But yeah, no, Delmo's great. Um, gave you all those uh the spots, and he's one of one won. of the best for sure. From, um, yeah, and with Delmo, that was like he didn't even skip a beat. It was like, right. and, you know, and quick. The funny story with Delmo that was just like, hey, Delmo, I want to come do this race. I think I'm going to win, and uh, that's the first race I found. Uh, I met Joe Malloy at because Joe Malloy won that race. It was in 2012, and I was just like, ah, oh. <laughs> I think I'm going to win. No, you're not going to beat Joe Malloy. No. <laughs> no, no, but yes, come, kid, come do the race and keep that fire. <laughs> but technically, for uh, 2000. 14 is i think when i want wildwood so hey okay okay i does seem like people i mean people do just call you up though and ask you to do things you ended up on million dollar mile the tv show and i think that was just them like calling you up right saying come audition come be on this show yeah. um for people who don't know it was this like i don't even know how to explain it. it was this obstacle course tv show where somebody would try and get through all the obstacles and then you as the defender would try and chase them down before they got through them. And if they made it through it all, they won a million dollars. How much did you win over the course of that? So we didn't win anything. We just got paid to be on the show. Oh, so even if you like caught them, you didn't win the money. You didn't Didn't win win anything. Didn't win anything, which was fine because it's just like, you know, it's, you know, standard reality TV show where you have to sign a contract and, and Mm -hmm. our, but, the different so they they 
those people that put together those shows are like just masters at like creating certain scenarios without really just trying it right and what it was was you just brought together the right group of people that are all so insanely desire to win that it's like hey we're gonna pay you to be on this show and listen (laughs) if that person beats you well you know how you're gonna look (laughs) right so my biggest gripe about the show is it just didn't show how fast we were running. Right? I think uh, the show just always made it look like people were jogging, but it's just like, no, <laughs> people were running like five minute miles because it was like, you know, it was like 200, 300, 400 meters between each obstacle, depending yeah. on which route you ran. And some of those people, like, I mean, think about it, that's just easy money. And if you really figure out how to calculate it, it's like if you ran at a steady, consistent pace and then you got over the obstacle at a steady, consistent pace, I mean, people are making $50,000, you know, in like oh, yeah. 10 minutes. There, there was one triathlete girl um, yeah. who made it pretty far, uh, Kayla, and she won like 500000 200000 something like that. It was two fi- 150000 yeah. 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 And we were joking, like, was that the most a pro triathlete got paid last year? Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, you've done so many different things. Which was your favorite out of all those kind of different crazy things you've done? Spartan Games. Okay. I gotta be Just careful. Hold on. Nah. <laughs> no, no, no. Million dollar mile. <laughs> what am I saying? Because... <laughs> That was LeBron James's team that scouted me. That was straight up. And I remember just thinking about it, being like, man, like people talk all this smack on LeBron James, but I'm like, this guy has figured out a way that I don't think I had made any money up until that point as being a pro triathlete. And then LeBron James probably just knew how to just him and his team just knew being like that kid. We need to make sure he gets taken care of. And that's what happened. Um it was just an opportunity of a lifetime. It was like 15 days living in LA. They put you up in a hotel. Right. And that was also my introduction to Spartan and obstacle course racing. And just that, just knowing that his team was like, yo, Max is our guy. And we wanted to be on this show was just like very, uh, I don't know if it's comforting or just welcoming or just like appreciative, like, thank you. Right. Like, thank you for mm-hmm. understanding that I'm an athlete and I can handle this and I'm deserving of opportunities. Did other things come out of it then? Like, yeah, that I, say, I, I think the, the whole world of Spartan opening open up. Mm-hmm. And I think it also showed that, uh, cause I didn't have, I, I Spartan games and million dollar mile. I didn't go into any of these any any of these challenges with any strength training right like everything's just been wrong so that's why you're now seeing me like all right i gotta start figuring out how well am i gonna do if i really start strength training yeah you gotta start like throwing some stuff around some heavy things around the gym to to get better at this yeah 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 practice your grip strength i know you've taken up archery too is that just like a random extra thing to take up well, I think Archie is very meditative and it's okay. another reason to – I honestly – I say this on my Strava profile. Just with the Archer range we have around here, it's a two-mile Archer range. It's just easy miles on the legs. So a lot of mm. the times, like, I'll just get my 30, 40, 50-minute run in and then go to the uh, Archer range and get some, you know, get some shots huh. in and 
that's just like it's not like a flat archery range it's like very hilly on like a cliffside type of archery range weird this is down in uh menlo park i've never heard of it. uh well it's in woodside it's called king's mountain um, archers yeah yeah uh, okay do you ever think do you ever wonder because obviously most pro like you got your pro card you raced pro triathlon for i don't know so many years and now you've kind of like diversified obviously most pro triathletes are very very focused right they don't also run a coffee company they don't like also run a reefer suit they aren't like walking around the archery range are you ever like hey if i just focus on this maybe I would be better or is it like know your lifestyle like you want to do all the different things that's who I am right like <laughs> you know I've had people be like oh Max you have to focus but like you know I was always with that kid with ADHD like I've literally when I when I really reflected on people saying like oh Max you should focus on one thing it's like since I was little it's always been like school and then after school sports and then piano lessons and then this and so right. it's like, this is the speed I work at and everything kind of complements itself because it's like, in order for me to get coffee work done, I have to go train because while I'm training, I'm thinking about coffee work, right? Um, and this is just also the level I work at anyway. And with where I live, once the weather gets nice, like, you know, I swim in a lagoon that's 20 minutes from me. So it's not that, like, I don't have to worry about sharks, at least I think. <laughs> Um, but it's no, like, this is, this is who I am. Like, and it's more so I'm an entrepreneur. Like I mm -hmm. want to create these things and I don't wait for things to be created. I don't wait for anyone to do these things for me. I just go and do it. How much do you sleep? Uh, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> Cause now with my dog, I got to walk him at five o'clock in the morning. So I, mean, oh, no. like, I average six hours of sleep. Um, oh, but what I do now is like, I'll wake up, walk him and then try and go back to sleep for like two hours. If I can, if my mind's not racing. Oh man. So I, I don't even know how I would train that much. If I was only getting six hours of sleep, it'd be rough, but you have so many, so many different things going on. Do you also started a coffee company, which I only think is funny because now I'm seeing other pros start like coffee clubs, coffee companies, you started yours a few years ago. How did, how, I mean, how was that like a whole new business you had to learn about? Do you know things about coffee? How does this well, even happen? So I've always worked in a cafe. And then mm -hmm. what it was is I had a buddy of mine convince me to start a coffee company. Yeah, like convinced me to go out on my own. He helped with the initial investment, um, the initial setup of the, of the company. And it's just when you're a natural entrepreneur and you know how to sell things, you're going to sell things, right? <laughs> and it, it was also just a response to the fact of me not having any sponsors. And I was like, right. like, I see the monetary value behind what it is that I'm doing. I know I can, you know, generate sales and that's what's benefit of having your own company. Uh, if you can run a successful company, because you know, it's one thing to have a sponsor come up to you and be like, Hey, we want you, we want to sponsor you. And I'm like, okay, but I have a customer base now. I know what my KPI is. I know what my ROI is. There's actually a dollar figure behind. I have a customer base. that's going to actually buy things. Um, so me starting a coffee company was in response to that as well as just being here in the Bay area and just kind of seeing how we can create our own little niche and, do something different where it's like, I know a lot of people say they get their coffee from women to own 
own farms and stuff like that. But we legitimately go direct, meaning like I legitimately have the ability to fly down to El Salvador to go to the coffee farm and hang out with the farmer. Right. Before, <laughs> before 2020, that was the plan. Like that was going to really help Ben coffee was like, I was going to fly down to El Salvador to one of our farmers and just hang out there and really get immersed in the process and pick beans and do all that stuff. But we've been waiting. And right. I know a lot of people can't say that. And I have legitimate intimate relationships with these farmers and have been buying from them now for two years uh, we're in the process and hopefully we're going to start selling Yemenese coffee from this amazing mm-hmm. woman, um, woman owned farm, very expensive coffee, but it's just very hard for a woman to have their own business in Yemen as well as export, mm-hmm. you know, their product, which is why there's all these licenses and which is why it's so expensive. But when you understand, when you go support a woman owned coffee farm out of Yemen, that bean's going to be so premium because they understand that their product has to be way more better than anyone else's that when you drink it, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, <laughs> or if you just smell it. Like they, like I smelled it after it roasted and I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, this really? Okay. It's just fresh and just clean. There's going to be no gunk and just, you know, really good coffee. So are you... I mean, it's a, it's a profitable business at this point, right? Like you have uh, orders with local stores, you have like local delivery. Are you making more money from the coffee now then than from the spartaning and all of that? Yes. yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I and, the, and like like I'm in the process once I get it written up, like I'm trying to bring on two people like immediately. Like I'm in the we're in a situation where like I get yelled at by the grocery stores that we don't keep up with the demand. You know, hmm. so <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's just like, it's a personnel and um, COVID issue. If COVID wasn't here, we still would have been hitting our vertical. Okay. Okay. So are you just going to become a full on coffee mogul then and like not have time for training anymore? No, I, yeah. I think the whole plan is to build a company and then find another CEO. <laughs> and I just get the end of the night emails and I'm just off training, doing my thing and not really, <laughs> not really saying much because well it's because you know like for me it's kona right it's like mm-hmm. i have goals and then since i've accomplished so many goals it's you know i'm always doing things to accomplish those goals all right so if the big goal is kona are we talking like kona as a pro kona as a pro kona as a pro all right so that's obviously like pretty hard significantly hard what is your is there like a two-year five-year three-year plan here it's more like probably like a three-year to four-year plan like my later 30s um once my body will tell me like oh i'm ready to be much slower and slow down um but right now it's like you know my body just still has too much power and still wants to you know, do short, fast stuff. But naturally, once mm-hmm. your body is going to switch after all that accumulative volume, you know, like I could ride 100 miles right now, but I wouldn't be able to run 26 miles off the bike. I'd be able to run 13 miles off the bike, 
right? But it's when your body starts saying like, hey, let's do that long, slow stuff. And I think that's where the bow hunting and stuff comes in. Because like, man, like mm. I'm out in the bush for like 16 hours. And for me, like I sweat a lot and that causes a lot of cramps. And so huh. if I, for the next three years, have from essentially the hunting seasons around here, end of March until September, and if I'm doing like 16, 15 mile hikes in crazy heat and then I'm not cramping, well, then that's the physio- physiological change that my body needs to tell me that like, hey, you're, you're now acclimated to this long day in the heat of just sweating so much. Got it. Okay. So it's kind of like adaptation. You haven't done an Ironman. Only, yet, only right? 70.3s. Right, right. Okay. So you got to like, you got to work your... Not that not that everyone has to know Ironman, but to qualify for Kona, you do. That's kind of yeah. that's kind of how that yeah. works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and uh, and do you have a coach? Is your coach like helping you on this? Day, plan? Yeah, the legend Dave Liotta lives in Santa Cruz. Okay. <laughs> always always coming back to the Santa Cruz lifestyle, right? <laughs> um, the tri community there is just amazing, but you know, it's just listening. Like he's been a great friend and a great coach, and. He's been in the sport for a very long time, listening to him and just playing the long game. Not, you know, like I'm just like, I'm not like, there's nothing for me here to, to rush towards. Right. Um, It's just being patient. Got it. All right. So we got to keep our eye on you at Kona in like three or four years. That's the plan. I believe so. And you also, I mean, in the midst of all this, you also ran for city council, which I don't think you won. But what were you going to do if you also had to be on the city council and run a coffee company and train? How is this going to work? I mean, that was the benefit that (laughs) (laughs) having nothing to lose. Be like, I'm just going to do this and see, right, what happens. If I win, I win. If not, then I I don't have to have all this extra work to do. Um, But I found out I'm. I got a good, uh, I got like almost 500 votes and the winner got like 1700 votes. So, um, everyone's just like a little surprised where all these votes came from. And I was like, see, um, but there's a lot you can do at the city level when you are on city council. But a lot of it is I wanted to be a part of the conversation. I wanted to let people mm-hmm. know that I'm here. I wanted people to let, I wanted to let people know that I could put together a coalition and, you know, that there's a voice here that needs to be heard. Obviously rent is significantly high. It's way overpriced in the Bay area. (laughs) And we have the ability to do issues about that. Um, We're to come up with certain laws um, to help prevent the, the high rise in rent um, and just a whole bunch of other issues, climate, um, social and, creating home ownership, you know, where I live, it's like $5 million houses everywhere. Right. Right, And and you've got people spending $30,000 in rent every year. It's like, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that was your like key. I was like, what was, what was going to be your thing? And that was your key issue then. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm still going to be involved with local politics. I'm still working on some Mm -hmm. things and, you know, if it's not local, maybe I'll, figure out a different, larger um, political run. I'm still looking at it. I'm still interested in it. And I think, you know, a lot of people that have issues with what's going on with politics, I don't think you should complain about it. I think you should go through the process 
And maybe you'll find out like me, like, oh my gosh, I got like 500 votes. <laughs> like, okay. Right. That's a, like, that at least tells you that like you can have a say and try again and see if you can get more votes. Hmm. Okay. Cause it sounds like you really just need more things on your plate. That's what I'm hearing is that you should just like add more stuff. I do. I do. I need to stay busy. <laughs> You need to stay busy. What does a regular, now that I'm just curious, what does like a week look like for you? Like, how do you, how, what does a day look like? How, how do you plot that all out? Oh, well, so I wake up at five, walk my dog. (laughs) And then if I get a glimpse at the emails, try and crank out whatever emails, look to see what coffee orders need to get fulfilled. Um, If I'm working out, maybe it's like, you know, stay up and then try and get my workout started by like eight o'clock, come back get whatever work needs to get done, um, try and get that second workout in. And then probably by like five, six o'clock, sometimes four, walking my dog again, <laughs> and then coming home, eating, and then doing whatever evening work that needs to get done if I have the energy to get it done. For me, I'm one of those people, there's something that always needs to get done. Like even now, well, just yeah. thinking about that, I'm just like, oh man, <laughs> like that stuff needs to get done. <laughs> you know, worst feeling. Um, so it's just like, you know, go, go, go. And then as you see the, when I'm out in the back country, that's how, you know, I caught, I've caught up on work. Like I got all the things I needed to get done. Then I go disappear. <laughs> like I go camp or I go hike with my dog. And then come okay. back. It sounds like the dog is a big, uh, takes a lot of time too. Is this a quarantine adoption here? Uh, well, it's always that I always wanted a dog and things just kind of worked out. But my dog's a hunting dog. He's a lab. Uh-huh. He's a true country boy. He doesn't know your dog's a pet. <laughs> he thinks okay. it's a coyote. So it's like I walk him at those hours to create that structure and it's less stressful on my on me. Okay. Okay. So you actually go hunt like go hunting. Well, not have you all caught anything? Not, yes, I don't go hunting all the Even though I have a hunting dog, we're not always hunting when we're in the woods. It's I label right. him as that so I let people know that, like, hey, he doesn't know your little fluffy is a fluffy. He thinks it's a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, you know, I've, you know, I've hunted things. I've, you know, deer, rabbits. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And the reason, so the reason I got into hunting was just because this is going to be a little interesting. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like when you start really understanding where your food comes from, but you still want to eat meat, you're like, right. I really don't dig the whole like my animals in like a slaughterhouse because then you understand that that animal is just surrounded by death, it's filled by cortisol. And it's like, the meat's not the same. So I'm like, all right, I need to go through this process and experience it. And I think that's the type of hunter I've become is the one where it's just like, you don't want to kill something. You don't like, you like when I go hunting for a deer, it's like, yeah, you can see a rabbit and you could hunt it, but it's just like, you really don't want to because you can feel it and you don't need to. Like, you don't take more than what you need to. Um, And as well as I hunt with a bow, right? Like I'm not sitting on some ridge line shooting at a deer 500 yards off in the distance. Like, like I have to stalk the deer. And I think that's why a lot of endurance athletes would like bow hunting because it's like, 
you're hiking for 15 hours, you might stop, take a nap underneath a tree, but you're like five miles in the bush with like a 30 to 60 pound pack on because you're carrying all your water, all your food. And then if you do see an animal, you have to be able to put your pack down or stalk with your pack to take a legitimate good ethical shot and then haul that thing out of there and with bow hunting 99 percent of the time you're literally just hiking every weekend every day with your bow not seeing anything okay and so what you when you have caught things i mean since this is all about like learning the food chain do you eat them do you like yeah, cook them yeah. up well yeah okay. i mean process the deer and yeah. <laughs> uh put it in my refrigerator and special occasions or when I want to supplement, just eat venison or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, that's the cool thing is like the majority of my freezer stocked with venison. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a, I like no Menlo park. I'm trying to picture how that goes over. If you just like show up with a deer in the back of your car. Yeah, so that was interesting because like, <laughs> it was on my porch and like people were walking past and it's just like, there's like a, this is a little messed up, but the head was there and like everything. And I'm like there, like hunched over, like trying to process this thing outside and people are walking past me being like, is that a head? I'm like, it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you kind of told us what's next for you. You're going to focus on local races, win something in Santa Cruz, because that's key. Um, are you optimistic then about racing this year? You you have them on your schedule, your training for races? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how things are going to play out because I keep seeing right. things get pushed off to 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 later in the year. But I mean, I'm feeling pretty optimistic that maybe we'll get one or two races in at the end of the year for sure. And um and we usually we usually end with a would you rather and so here's my would you rather would you rather obstacle horse race triathlon or a bow hunt? In in what context? Like like in like this is what you're going to to compete in. This is what you're going to do this year. You're going to which one would you pick? And COVID or no COVID? Oh man, you have so many questions. Uh, no COVID. For money or no money? <laughs> <laughs> For money. And is it the same across? Like, is it $20,000 for both? Yeah, yeah. let's just assume that, like, yeah, let's just assume you could make money in any of them. What would you pick? <sighs> Probably bow hunting. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I hear you can be an Instagram influencer in bow hunting. That's an up and coming thing. So maybe you should look into that. I already have actually. I have a secret <laughs> hunting account that people don't know about that's doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think a secret account is the key to becoming an influencer. Um, it's because it's like, it's the same thing. Uh, bow hunting's the same thing as obstacle course racing as triathlon. You're putting a lot of hours that you're not guaranteed a reward. Mm -hmm. Um, and with bow hunting, it's just a different connection to being outside and just that connection to nature, that respect for nature, that respect of animals. And you're just by yourself. And it's just, I think my best times have just been like literally when I've just slept underneath a tree. 
Like once, like think about it. Like anyone watching this, think to yourself: When's the last time you went in the middle of the woods, slept underneath a tree, and then just woke up and you didn't have any cell phone service? Like it does something to you, right? You just, you know, it's very peaceful. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us, Max. And I, uh, I think it was illuminating for a lot yeah. of Maybe they'll go sleep under trees now. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks to Laura and Max for taking a break from their busy schedules to talk with us. And thanks to all of you for listening. Leave a review if you like what you hear. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Keep training and keep listening. 